Let's come back together, find our seats. There will be time later to welcome each other. Talk a little bit more. This is great, but but let's sit down. <laughs> it is it is good to be together to worship. Um, one of the things I just want to mention before we get started, um, something we started last week and we're continuing to do, and we'll be refining and getting more platforms. But we've started to live stream our services. And to, to find a way for people that are, are maybe bedridden or sick or stuck at home, not able to be here, um, to be able to watch the services. And I, I just bring this up because there is nothing that can replace coming together as a body of believers. And so this is not to say next week five people can come and everyone has their devices at home. Um, no, God has designed the church to gather together. And in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves or the meeting together. And so this isn't to replace coming together, but we realize that we have people that are sick at home and we have people that are caring for sick ones at home. And we want to give them an opportunity to just participate with us as a church family. So if you find yourself sick and unable to come or out of town, um, we had a number of people last week that were out of town that mentioned. So hello, everyone that's out of town. Um, but this is a chance we have to include others in our worship as the body of Christ and to still come together. So that's, that's a little bit of what's going on there. This morning, we start a, a new mini-series. Um, in about a month, we'll be getting to the book of Esther. But I really wanted to take a moment and, and take just a brief few weeks and continue talking about some doctrine. And in this case, talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know when I say Holy Spirit that you guys are all coming from a whole host of backgrounds. And some of you are thinking all kinds of things about where that discussion might go. Some of you may, may be thinking, I'm going to walk out because if Pastor Ron starts raising his hands at all, I'm done. Um, some of you might be saying, man, I wish we could see the Spirit work a little bit more. And so we, we are coming from all kinds of backgrounds, and there's churches from all kinds of backgrounds. When you think of it, you can probably think of some of the things you've heard people say about the Holy Spirit that are a little crazy. Um, what are some of the perceptions people have of the Holy Spirit that you've heard? Right. Righteous, okay, he is righteous and holy. Or righteous, like really cool. Is that, <laughs> sorry, that, that goes from when I was younger. What else have you heard about the Holy Spirit? What do people say? Who do they think he is? Mysterious. Mysterious, okay. A power, yes, a power that comes through, through everywhere. He judges, okay. And we know from God's word he convicts, and we'll get to that probably next week. I try to think he. Okay, so the difference between he and it, and we're going to talk about that this morning, and it's a difference of person and non-person. An incorrect uh, assumption in the Pentecostal movement sometimes is that we, don't, we have no control over what he does with us. Okay, that, that we have no control, we just have to let it, let it flow and let him do whatever. And as well as there's an incorrect, incorrect assumption that um, you have to have certain gifts to be saved, right, in, in some churches. And, and that deals with a belief in the Spirit. Or that the Spirit may not come when you're saved and you'll be filled later at some later time. I've heard that a lot. I, I've heard a lot of these things. 
And so what we want to do is in the next few weeks, we want to correct some of those things and ask, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say our response to the Holy Spirit should be? I remember one of the the first years I was taking a youth group to Hume, and I've told this story before, but it fits at the beginning here. And and it's middle of the night, and I'm in the cabin with a, a bunch of the high school guys, and one of the cabins across the way from us, they start yelling and screaming and 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 barking and yipping, and, and it, it was it was disturbing. That's probably the best word I can use for that because we don't know what's going on, and. Um, the lights are on, and it really looked like someone was getting hurt or something. And um, we asked the next morning, well, what happened? Is everyone okay? And, and we heard, well, we were, just, we were just moved by the Spirit. We were moved by the Spirit. And in that case, we knew that nothing intelligible had happened. We knew that, that actually there was some frenzy there. And in that case, what was disturbing is that was probably not from the Holy Spirit. It was probably human-induced, and, and I know I may be already stepping on toes. I'm not saying the Spirit doesn't work, but if you had seen what was happening and the chaos, this was not from God. And, and there are so many abuses, and, and actually the, the Hume met with the leaders and that was, was taken care of, and apologies happened, and just some kids sort of got caught up in the moment. But what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Because what I've seen in the church, and especially especially in the church 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, is we've seen some of these abuses. We've all seen the Benny Hinn shows on TV where you touch the person, they fall over, and you're like, ah, oh, and, and, and we know now from people in backstage that none of that was, was true. We've seen so many abuses of the Holy Spirit that I saw the church take this pendulum away from ever wanting to talk about the Holy Spirit away from understanding that the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, sent by God to, to help us, to enable us to live for God, and He indwells every one of us that are believers. And we can't neglect the Holy Spirit because of that. We can't. It is so important to understand who the Holy Spirit really is, what He really does. And not be afraid of Him, See him work, pray that he would work, pray that he would move inside of us because he does move inside of us. But, but do that in a godly way, in a biblical way within the bounds of scripture. This is so important to understand. Francis Chan said this as he was talking about the Holy Spirit, which I think summarizes why it's important to study the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent to be our helper. He is carrying out God's redemptive plan on earth and in our lives. He is sanctifying us. He indwells us. But we can tend to focus more on our theology, more of our theology on God the Father and Jesus Christ than we can on the Holy Spirit. But yet, as another author said, He is the person of the Trinity through which the entire Godhead currently works in us. Think about that. He is the person of the Trinity through which the entire Godhead works within us, works within you, works within me. We dare not neglect an understanding of the Holy Spirit because that is the gift of God. He is the gift of God that is at work in us. Where I want to start is is at the beginning of the church. And, and I know the Holy Spirit has existed from all eternity. We'll talk about this morning. 
But something changed the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on believers and permanently indwells believers. And so I want to start there and talk through that story as we get into the doctrine of of the Holy Spirit and understand how important and how impactful this can be. I'll, I'll just say right up front, one of my goals this morning is that we leave with a sense of awe is that we leave blown away that the God of the universe, the God that spoke the universe into existence, lives inside you and lives inside me. That's the goal of the morning. If we leave with that awe and that understanding, we have accomplished something this morning. But I'm gonna, I, I, we're going to go through a lot of verses today. They'll be on the screen, many of them. If you're using version, if you go down to the three bars in the lower right, you can go to events and go to the village event. All the verses are in there. Um, because I want you to see the verses. See, I'm not making this stuff up. It's in God's word. It's what he said. But we're going to start in John 16, 5 through 7. And we start with the church begins. The day the Holy Spirit came to believers. John 16, 5 through 7. And some of you are already thinking, that didn't happen in John. That, what's he doing? That didn't happen in John 16. We're, we're leading up to it. Because we have the promise, we have the command, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise. In John 16, 5 through 7, we read, But now, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, he's preparing them for his death and, and his ascension to heaven. He says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is one of several verses in the same discussion where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He promises the Comforter. But catch some of the things he says in verse 7. So he's going away. He says, I know you'll be sorrowful. Picture this, if you had just spent three years with Christ, walking every day with Christ, and hearing his teaching, and eating with him, and sleeping under the same roof that he slept in, and seeing these miracles, your whole life is focused on on this rabbi, on this teacher, on the Son of God. And he says, I'm going away. I'm going to leave. I'm going back to the one that sent me. And then in verse 7 he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away. And what that means is, it is better for you if I leave. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, what? Are you nuts, Jesus? Okay, maybe I don't say that to Jesus. But but wouldn't you think that a little bit? It's better for you to go away? I'm not thinking it's better you're leaving. But he says why it's better for him to leave. For if I do not go away... The helper, which is one of the words we have, the paraclete for for the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is saying there is an advantage to him leaving because there is something about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is more advantageous for us than even walking and eating and sleeping and hearing Jesus himself. Do we believe that? Do we believe? We need to. Thank you. Because, you know, sometimes we say, well, if if I had walked with Jesus, I'd believe. Because then I'd see it. I'd know. What Jesus is saying is actually with the Holy Spirit convicting and living in you, this is better. 
And that, that's a hard verse for me because I, I don't honestly sometimes see that it's better. I, I don't understand that, but I have to take God as his word that the filling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is even better, as great as it would be, than walking with Christ physically on earth. And so this is the promise. The comforter is coming. And it's better. It's good. So now turn over to Acts. Acts chapter 1. So that's the promise. Then we get to the command. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, and this is Jesus talking again, we don't often think of Jesus at the begin in Acts, but at the very beginning of Acts, right before he ascended to heaven, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And that's back he heard in John 16. He says, stay in Jerusalem, hang out here, wait for the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Which is just amazing and cool. And Jesus is saying, that thing I promised, now I'm telling you to stay here and wait for that to happen because it's almost here. In our, in our house on, on the mantle, we have a little thing that says number of days till Christmas. And I forget what it was. Someone was over Friday night and asked. It was a hundred and something. Um, you know, it's in all the stores already, but we're counting down, you know, there's anticipation and Jesus is saying, no, no, in a few days, you're getting the Holy Spirit. So picture this, picture the excitement, picture the anticipation. And quite frankly, I don't think the disciples knew what that meant completely yet because they hadn't experienced it as a permanent indwelling of believers. So then turn to page to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, one through four. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. This really happened. This is not just some sort of metaphor. This really happened. So imagine you're in a room with 12 of your closest friends and all of a sudden inside the room there's this huge rushing wind and then these tongues of fire come and and hang out above everybody's head. That's what happened. That's the significance. God is announcing the coming of the Holy Spirit permanently to indwell believers. He's announcing the beginning of the church. And it's beautiful. And the tongues of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And to begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there's an explanation that goes on about what that meant and, and sharing the gospel to people of all nations. But what we see is the church begins. And we see the promise of the Holy Spirit, the command to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that day changed everything for believers. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But the work of the Holy Spirit was slightly different in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, now he indwells believers. After the work of Christ, when we are saved, God Almighty, as the Holy Spirit, indwells us. That changes everything. Or at least it should. It should if we understand what happens. It should if we are open to the working of the Holy Spirit. If we are pursuing his work in our lives. This is what enables us to stand in this world, to be different from the world. 
I love talking about this. And one of the reasons I chose this after James is we talked about faith in action and how to, to put feet to our faith and live our faith. The way we do that is by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If we just try on our own effort, oh, we will fail miserably. We might be able to do it for a little while. But the Holy Spirit is what enables us to walk with God. And so we come to who is the Holy Spirit. And in, in 25 minutes or less, we're going to shoot through a whole bunch of theology, things that you could read books on and study more. And, and I may not get all the verses, but I have them there so you can study them during the week and understand what God's Word has to say about this topic. And it's important, like I already said, it's important to study the Holy Spirit because He indwells us. In fact, in Galatians 5.25, we're told if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And we get this metaphor of walking in the Spirit, of every moment seeking the Spirit's Spirit's guidance for what we're doing. Well, if we're going to live by the Holy Spirit, we have to know something about Him. We can't just be oblivious. We can't have wrong views of who He is. And so we want to to know who the Holy Spirit is. Then we'll talk about in, in future weeks what the Holy Spirit does. And then we'll talk about, so how can we order our lives around? How can we walk in the Spirit? How can we see Him work in our lives? I guess we start, and where I wanted to start was, what what is the Holy Spirit not? And I sort of asked that question as we started. And, and it, it's just important to think through some of the, the misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit one of the things that he is not is a force, okay? And, and especially with Star Wars coming out soon, and I know the, the Dark Ray trailer dropped this week, and it was incredible, but, and, and we get this, and that's a, a very Eastern religious view of, of, of God, is this power, this force that flows through, and we get to channel, or maybe it channels us if we open ourselves up to it. That's not the Holy Spirit. That, that's... Uh, he, he is powerful. He does work in us. But he's not just some random energy like New Age philosophy would say. He's powerful, but so much more. And so, so trying to define him by just one of his works, by one of his, his attributes, really takes away from the whole. Uh, another thing that sometimes we use the word spirit for, and I've heard this even used of the Holy Spirit, well, there's, there's a spirit of community here at Village. There's a spirit of family, right? As we have little kids running around and, and, and interrupting us, which is awesome. There's a, there's a spirit, there was a spirit of angel fandom last night. And a contrary spirit. To, to <laughs> and right, we use spirit that way, right? And, and we're using it to represent sort of the embodiment of some shared values. That's not the Holy Spirit either. Um, Yes, the Holy Spirit brings grace and he brings truth and he brings an ability to love one another. But that's, that's not how we define a spirit because now again, we're just defining him as some value rather than a person. Um, probably one of the biggest ones that I hear is the Holy Spirit isn't simply the influence of God. Sometimes we can read the Bible and it says, well, the Lord's Spirit said this. And we don't think of the Spirit then as a a separate person. We think of the Spirit as just God's work, right? As God saying, hey, do this. And, and, you know, Him giving His commands, we're just going to call that the Spirit of God. But that's not the Holy Spirit either because that's taking away the personhood. It's turning the Trinity into, into a duality. That's not the Holy Spirit either couple of other things. The Holy Spirit isn't just a justification of your own feelings. 
you know, I, I think that I need to go to Ruth Chris today and have a nice steak. In fact, you can't argue with me if I say the Spirit led me to do this. And that's a dangerous thing, right? I worked with youth a long time, and, and I heard, especially on a Christian campus, the Holy Spirit led me to date you. Well, how is she going to argue that? Now, ladies, you argue that by saying, well, the Holy Spirit can tell me too if he wants that to happen. Um, don't buy into that because that's someone manipulating God for, for their own purposes. No, we, the Holy Spirit is not a justification of our own feelings. In fact, more often than not, the Holy Spirit will go contrary to our feelings. And, and he will go contrary to culture because he wants something different for us, something better. And finally, some of you are reading King James, and King James translates it Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is not some sort of ghost, force ghost or anything else that we're discussing. The Holy Spirit isn't an apparition. The Holy Spirit is a person who is alive. And so those, those are just some misconceptions that we, we just need to get out of the way before we get to who is the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Village Constitution says, we believe that the Holy Spirit is real, has individual personality, has the attributes of God, and is God. And those statements may sound just normal on their face, or, yeah, I believe that, I understand that. But each of those actually has a depth to it that are important for us understanding the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that many of you here have done much study on the Holy Spirit. You, you've, you've gone through our Constitution. And today might be just a review for you. And again, my hope is that it's more than a review, but an awe moment of reminding ourselves of the awe. You know, the first time you go to Yosemite, it's like, ah! And, and then, you know, the fifth time, you're like, ah, it's just the tunnel view. And we can get that way with the Holy Spirit. We can get that way with God. Man, let's get past that today and let's be amazed again. Let's be in awe of what he is, who he is, and how he works inside of us. And so we believe the Holy Spirit is real, has individual personality, has the attributes of God, and is God. So we're going to hit each of those and a couple more, just six quick things of who the Holy Spirit is. First one, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. And we start there because that has to be the foundation that the Holy Spirit is part of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are three in one. In fact, almost every song we sang this morning talked about the Trinity and that God being three in one. Now, if you're looking this morning for me to thoroughly explain the Trinity so you have no more questions about it, there's the door. Because that it is an awe, awe-filled concept but we know it's true in Scripture. That God is made up of three persons, but He is one, as we read from Deuteronomy 6 this morning. And, and we see this throughout Scripture. We see it all the way from Genesis 1. We see it all the way to Revelation 22. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. But He is God. And, and, and we'll get to that. He is the third person of the Trinity. In Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, which is one of the verses that we base some of our core values on. Our, core, our outreach core value is based on that. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Our marching orders, right? As you're going, make disciples. That's what we're to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see this, this formula, this, this statement of the Trinity throughout the New Testament. 
Yes, I've heard people say, well, the word Trinity isn't used in the New Testament. Well, actually, it was written in Greek, so none of the English words were. But um, that's a whole different... The concept, though, is preached over and over and over. And there we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it again in Luke chapter 3, 21 through 22. And I'm just picking a couple because it's throughout the New Testament. Now, when all the people were baptized, and this is Jesus coming to be baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And we see Jesus being baptized in human form as he's incarnate in the flesh. We see God the Father speaking. This is my beloved son. And we see the Holy Spirit coming down on him as a dove, as a representation of a dove. Three members of the Trinity. Three persons of the Trinity. Which, by the way, that even that dispels this idea that God sort of shifts from being Holy Spirit to Jesus to God the Father, which we would call modalism, where, where he takes on different modes. But in reality, all three were present at the same time. There are three different persons. And the Holy Spirit is of equal status uh, as, as God the Father and God the Son because they are one and they are God. And what we see from this is there's three different distinct names and persons, but there's one God. And the Holy Spirit is a real person. When we say in our Constitution, the Holy Spirit is real, not just some force, not just some energy, not just the thing that bonds all the molecules together that we can tap into, but He is God. He is a real person. And so when we, when we, when we try to understand the Trinity, we would say in a longer version of what we believe is we believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal in being, co-identical in nature, so they all have the nature of God, they all are God, co-equal in power and glory, and having the same attributes and perfections. However, we'll talk about it, they have different roles and they have different functions. And so a simpler way of saying that is the members of the Trinity are equal in nature, separate in person, person and submissive in duty. Now, we're not going to go much further with the Trinity this morning, but I hope it sort of blows our mind a little bit. How can God be three in one? I don't know. <laughs> but he is. And that's why he's God and we're not. And that's where the awe starts to come in and this fear of God and this amazement at God. Do you want a simple God? Do you want a God you can understand and hold in your hand? No, this is part of the amazement of God. Now, now a couple of things. People have gone different directions with the training. I'll just have some fun with this and then we'll move on. Um, modalism is one of the things I talked about where it's, a, it's one of the heresies of the Trinity that God, it just takes these different forms, takes these different modes at different times. And what that denies is that he is all of those at the same time, that God is three distinct persons. Modalism says he's one person that's just taking on different roles. Um, and, and that's, that's a heresy. Another heresy is that of partialism where God the Father, God the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit are all partly God. They're all a third God. And so you've got to get them all together to get God. That, that's false. That's a heresy. Each of them is fully God, and we'll talk about that. And this is where we have to get, beware of some of the analogies. And I was going to bring some things this morning, but I was getting kids together and getting here, and so all the things are still at home. Um, 
Sometimes an apple is used of the Trinity, right? And you have the core, and the core could be God the Father. And you have the meat of the apple, which could be Jesus Christ. And you have the skin of the apple, which could be the Holy Spirit, right? No. That's actually the heresy of modalism. That, that they're each... Uh, not, not really, they're, they're, they're taking on different aspects, actually not modalism, partialism, that each of those is partly an apple and you have to have all three to be the apple. Water, I've heard sometimes, right? That water can exist as ice, water, and steam. So it can, it can exist in three different forms, but yet it's all water. That one's modalism. And so that's not a good analogy. I know Jeremiah's going to be in the back saying, there is a state where they can all exist at the same time, right? Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've had this conversation and it's fun. Um, but in the normal state, um, the problem is that assumes that when it's water, it's not ice. And when it's water, it's not steam. And so that's modalism. Now, I'm not saying never use these. We, we have to try to get our heads around this. And with, with our kids, how do you explain these things? But as you use some of those illustrations, realize they, they don't fit completely. And so put that caveat in that, you know, this isn't, this isn't quite right. I, I've heard triangle, which is, which is really partialism. The chain illustration is, is partialism. So we, we have all these different things. Um, in the end, the fact that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are three persons and they are all God. They all are fully God. That should blow our mind. And that should make us in awe of our Creator. Second thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is separate in person. He has an individual personality in in our doctrinal statement. He is separate in person. He is not God the Father. He is not Jesus. But He's the Holy Spirit. And and I think we need to understand this. We, We need to understand there's a distinction. You know, my kids don't appreciate it when I get their names wrong. Especially when I call the boys Alicia. It just doesn't fly. They're still okay when I call them the pets, but that's... Um, and I know, I know you've all been there. You go through the list of names hoping you finally get the right one and the, the, the light goes on. We want to have good theology about the Holy Spirit and understand who He is and call Him the right name. And, and understand what His role is. Let us not neglect the person of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, some of the things we see in Scripture, I'll go through these pretty quickly. You can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. We know from, from Jesus' teaching on, on, on blasphemy. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That you can only do to a person, and so it speaks to his personhood. The Holy Spirit has emotions. Have you thought about that? The Holy Spirit has emotions. In fact, in Ephesians 4.30, it says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can, we can trouble his, his heart, his emotions. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Only a person can be grieved. Wind is never upset with me. Some sort of force isn't, isn't grieved. The Holy Spirit is a real person indwelling us. So when I enter into sin, the Holy Spirit is right there seeing that. And I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. This is where I think it's important to understand what we're using in our pronouns. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. 
And I've slipped up even a couple times today, right? Uh, but we, we need to be conscious of this. He speaks to personhood. It speaks to an object or some substance or some ethereal thing, right? And so the Holy Spirit is a he. In John 16, 13, and 14, and this I think we have on the screen, just look at all the he's here. This is Jesus speaking. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in there we can dig into, but I want you to first see the pronouns. He. Many, many times. And what's interesting, in the Greek, you wouldn't use the the pronoun he with the the Greek for spirit, pneuma, which is a neuter. And and not to get really into that, but this is an intentional change to show the personhood of the Holy Spirit. You know, some other things, the Holy Spirit's referred to as a person. He has a will. We, we see that as he gives out the gifts. He's choosing who to give the gifts to. He has authority. He's directing Paul. And those are just some of the ways that we know the Holy Spirit is a person. Number three in your notes, the Holy Spirit has all the attributes and nature of God. All the attributes and nature of God. Which means... All of our study on the attributes of God, all of those apply to the Holy Spirit. All of the omnis, omnipresent, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, all of those apply to the Holy Spirit. He is fully God, and that'll be our our next point. But in in Hebrews 9.14, the Holy Spirit is called the eternal spirit. The spirit without a beginning or without an end. The Trinity has always existed. Always from, from eternity past to eternity future. The Holy Spirit was never created. Jesus Christ was never created. The Trinity is always... Now, that'll blow your mind if you really think about it, too. I, there's a lot of things this morning that you can just walk away with. Poof. The Holy Spirit is eternal. But yet Hebrews 1 says only God is eternal. And so we see a statement of, by calling him eternal spirit. It's actually a statement of his divinity as well. We see that he's been active throughout the entire Bible. From Genesis 1-2, the Spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep. He's actively participating in creation. In Revelation 22, the end of the story, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, come. Um, we, we can go through some of the verses on the omnis about his, he's omniscient. He knows everything God knows, which can only mean he's God. In Psalm 139, 7 to 8, these statements about God always being with us, no matter where we go, He is with us. Do you realize it says, where will I go from your spirit? And it says, the spirit is omnipresent. And these are all just statements that the Holy Spirit has all of the attributes of God. Which leads us to, to point number four, the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Do not think of Him as anything less than God. He's not just a part of God. He's not just the force and the power of God. He is God. We see a number of ways. One of the, one of the ways we see this is that the Holy Spirit and God, their names are often used interchangeably. In Acts 5, 3 and 4, a sad, sad story uh, of Ananias and his wife lying about giving to the church and trying to get glory for something they didn't do. And we read, And Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And here he uses them interchangeably. He already said you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now he, he, in the same sequence, he says you've lied to God. That's because the Holy Spirit is God. Fully God. And so everything that we think of with God, we need to think of with the Holy Spirit. In, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, we know that, that our bodies are the temple of God, right? Don't you know that your body is God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Well, who dwells in the temple of God? God. And then he says the Spirit dwells, dwells there. And again, it's just saying the Holy Spirit is God. We are the temple of God, and it's the Holy Spirit indwelling us because he is God. He lives here. He's taken up residence, which is, again, just really mind-boggling. Why would the God of the universe take up residence in me? Why would he want to? Why would he love me so much to give me that encouragement and that support? See, the awe of this is God Almighty who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is everywhere, who is all-just, who is all-loving, he is all-righteous, he is full of grace. That is the God that chose to indwell you when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And he is never leaving you. That is huge. I've got to say, as I was preparing for today, I'm like, oh, this is just theology. This is sort of the dry part of the series. But as I'm thinking about this, as I'm blown away, thinking new about God Almighty being in me and God Almighty loving me that much and being with me. And as we're going through a difficult week and we so appreciate your prayers and I'm studying, what hit me was the power of this is that the God of the universe is there to help me through this. Because I don't really care if someone else is, is, is indwelling me. If, if he's not God, if the Holy Spirit isn't powerful, what good is it to say he's helping? You know, if I say this ant is indwelling me, which is just creepy, but, but if I, if that ant's doing nothing for me, quite frankly, if I say one of you is indwelling me and, and helping me through everything, that's helpful, but you've got limitations. If I'm choosing, I'm going to take the God of the universe. And that was so comforting this week as I studied to realize as, as we sit there and go through this struggle, God Almighty, who spoke the world into existence through the Holy Spirit, is in me. That means something. That makes a difference. I need you to leave with that today, realizing who is indwelling you and be amazed by that. See, the Holy Spirit is fully God. When we said in the Great Commission that we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's because they're all on equal ground. It would be a little weird if I said, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Joshua Zergis. I see you standing there, sorry. 
No, no, that would put him on the same level as the other two. That, that would just be weird. You'd be like, that's heresy. When we use the Holy Spirit, we are saying that he is God and he is fully God. We don't want to deny him. We don't want to ignore him. We don't want to relegate him to a lesser part of the Trinity. We are called to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and that is an amazing off-field thing. Two more points just quickly so you can fill in your blanks and not hate me. Number five, each person of the Trinity has different functions. Each person of the Trinity has different functions. We see this in 1 Peter 1, 2. We see this throughout the New Testament. This one was the hardest one to choose verses on. And, and we see again the Trinity, this Trinitarian statement in 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, because the Spirit indwelling us is what allows us to be sanctified and more and more Christ-like every day. The foreknowledge of God the Father is the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, speaking of His work on the cross. And right there we touch on some of their different roles. They, they have different roles. They have different purposes. And this is sometimes called the economy of the Trinity, which we don't use economy this way, but it used to be used in the ordering of activities. Different functions. God the Father and the Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. Okay? Who died on the cross? The Son. And and because they have different roles, they have different functions. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. That's one of His roles. He indwells us. And so we want to understand as we read Scripture that they are three distinct persons. They are all one God, which again blows our mind. And they all have different roles and different um, roles within each other, different relationships to each other. Jesus said, not my will to the Father, but your will be done. And he was subordinating himself to the Father's will because of their different roles. The Father sends the Spirit. This is such a beautiful model for marriage. And, and as, a, as a church, we hold to a complementarian view of marriage that God has created male and female in his image, but we are different. And we have different roles. We have different functions. We have different strengths. And in a marriage, the beauty of it is you take two people's strengths and they tend to match up to the weaknesses of the other. And, and that's complementarianism, that the two are complementary to each other. But just as in the Trinity, where they have different roles, they are all God. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's less important or less God than God the Father, just because God the Father's sending Him. And in marriage, just because the husband may be leading the home and should be leading the home and taking that steps and that responsibility before God, that does not mean there's a lesser of the two. There is an equality just like the Trinity, but with different roles as God has designed. And it is beautiful to see that relationship in the Trinity. Point number six. We don't see the Holy Spirit in bodily form. And this is just a a sort of an add-on to understand. We don't see the Holy Spirit in bodily form as He is Spirit. But we see His work everywhere. And so the, the words in the Old Testament, ruach means breath. In the New Testament, pneuma means um Breath again, life-giving spirit. And, and so you see sometimes wind being used of the spirit because the, the spirit is not incarnate. It's one of the difficulties with the book The Shack is they incarnate the spirit and it's just not biblical. 
but the Spirit indwells us. And so we need to understand that. As I need to get my notes. Now, there are two times in Scripture where the Spirit is represented by a visible representation. One we've already talked about at the baptism of Jesus, the dove. The other one we've already talked about, day of Pentecost, the tongues of fire. And so that's why the, the, the picture for the series is the tongue of fire. And there's these word pictures that represent the Holy Spirit, wind and clothing and oil and, and a seal, a stamp on a, on a letter, living water. But all those are word pictures that describe what the Holy Spirit does, not how we see him. When we, when, we see, when we see the word Spirit in Scripture, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we should think the active agent of God's work. Not God the Father. He, he is an agent of God the Father, but of God's work because He is God. And that's where we're going to go this next week. What does the Holy Spirit do? Today, who is He? Next week, what does He do? Three implications I want to leave you with. Be aware be in awe, and be encouraged. Be aware of the Holy Spirit, of what we've talked about today. Pursue His work in your life. Since the Holy Spirit is real and He's a person, we can't ignore Him. Oh, it's just the wind, or it's just the force, just about... No, no, He's real and living in you, and so let's not ignore Him. He is God working in us to help us. Have an ongoing discussion with Him. Talk to Him throughout the day as you walk in places. Holy Spirit, lead me. Direct me right now. Show me who I need to talk to. Help me with strength for this. Have that discussion. Be in awe of the Holy Spirit. And I've already talked about that, both with who He is and that He lives in you, which is just incredible. And be encouraged. God is near. You are not alone if you're a believer. I want to end with this as we enter communion. Because communion is a time where we celebrate the death of Christ and his resurrection, that we remember the price that he paid for our sins. And, and the, the crackers represent Christ's body as he died on the cross, as he was, was, was brutally murdered in our place. The, the juice represents his blood that was shed for our forgiveness because the penalty for death, for sin is death. That should have been us on the cross. And Jesus spilled his blood to, to gain us forgiveness and righteousness. But here's the thing. It's only through understanding what these elements represent. It's only through accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, repenting of our sins and giving our hearts to him. That's the only time the Holy Spirit indwells us. He doesn't indwell us before we're saved, before we give our life to Christ. And so all the things we're talking about today, if you've never accepted Christ, I pray it spurs you to say, you know what, I want that. I want to know what Christ did for me, and I want the Holy Spirit living in me. But the basis of that is I'm a sinner. I can't pay for my sin on my own, and Jesus paid for it on the cross. And that's what communion, that's what the Lord's Supper represents. And so we ask, this is a celebration of what God has done in our life. If you're still questioning, we're glad you're here, but just pass the baskets by because these represent that I've already made that decision. I've already made that commitment. But you can make that commitment right now and, and, and see God at work in your life and see God's dwelling in your life. Let's pray together and thank Him for the elements. Lord God, we thank You for Your work on the cross through Jesus Christ. 
We thank you that Jesus suffered. As hard as that is to say, but we see that gloriously as as his love for us, your grace for us. Lord, I pray that we would see the depth of your sacrifice and remember that even now as we take the bread and the juice. Lord, thank you for the gift of your spirit, that the Holy Spirit indwells us that you have gifted the church, you have gifted believers with this that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we are not alone, but that you are with us. In your name, amen. Lord God, we believe in you. We believe in God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we proclaim that as truth. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Open us up to understanding what it means to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Lord, thank you for your presence, for your sacrifice on the cross through Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you. In your name, amen.